Okay, um, so my name is Timmy Ijumi. As Pastor T said, I own a wedding solutions company called I Do Weddings. I think the name pretty much speaks. We do weddings, and when you get to the altar, you say I do, so it kind of ties in together. So let me take you through my slides. Okay, so this isn't another PowerPoint presentation. You know, some people make PowerPoint presentations and you almost think a human being can jump out of it and say, ta-da, I'm not that techie. So it's really going to be me speaking from the heart and hopefully inspiring someone to start something that's in their heart or in their mind to do. Um, Pastor C said already, I have done three law degrees. I've done the LLB, the LLM, the BL. Oh, sounds like a lot, but yeah. And um, all the while... I loved weddings. I wanted to study English um, for my, for my um, university degree. And my mom said, you've lost your mind. You're not, you're not going to study English. You better do something that's concrete, something you can fall back on. And so that's how I ended up um, in law. But all the while that I was studying, I constantly thought about weddings. I didn't know how it would translate into a career, but I was always looking at wedding dresses, flower girl flower girls, rings, all sorts. And um, I prayed, actually. I was at Jesus' house in London, and I said to God, give me a sign if this wedding thing is part of my destiny, if it's what I'm meant to do. And as soon as I prayed, God answered my, prayer, my prayers. I looked on the back of the leaflet, and there was a an advert for something called the Mahogany Bridal Show. I went, I had a look around. It wasn't what I expected it to be, but I believe that that was the sign that I needed. And for someone here, if God gives you a sign, it doesn't necessarily mean it will manifest immediately. Sometimes a sign is to prepare you for what's to come. And I think that's what happened to me at Jesus' house because it was a long time coming after that. Um, So like I said, during all of the above, I was constantly thinking about weddings, searching about searching everything to do with weddings. When I was at law school, I wrote a bridal manual from scratch. So for someone who wanted to plan a wedding in a year, what you do nine months before the wedding, eight months before the wedding, seven months before the wedding, rather than studying for my uh, degree, I was writing a wedding manual. So um, it was definitely something that was in my blood. When I finished my BL, I said to my mom, here are the three law degrees, I'm done. I don't want to be a lawyer, I'm sorry. And she looked at me like, I know you've lost it, don't worry, calm down. You'll regain your senses tomorrow, but it wasn't to be. So I moved to Coca-Cola to start in the marketing, the consumer marketing department. I didn't particularly want to stay there. They said to me, you know, we only retain, we don't retain people. So after a year, you're done. I thought, great, that's it, I'm out after a year. That's it, I'm going to leave. And the year finished and they retained me, and I thought, no, 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 this is not part of the plan, I'm not supposed to be here. And in all the time I was there, I was constantly frustrated, not because it wasn't a great place to work, but I just wasn't doing what came naturally to me. But even in that, God actually has a plan, because all the skills that I learned at Coca-Cola have been transferable to what I currently do today, because I worked in the marketing department. So social media, everything to do with design, aesthetics, I learned on the job. And same thing with the legal career because I have learned how to express myself. Maybe not to a wide audience like this, but on paper I can express myself. So let's go to the next slide. Oh no, the one before that. So Coca-Cola, increasing frustration, I thought to myself, Enough is enough. And what I tell myself every day is literally up there. Start today, not tomorrow. If you wait for the perfect conditions to start a business, you'll be waiting forever. Nobody ever has enough money. Nobody ever has enough whatever it is that you think you need to start a business. You never have it. The most important thing is just that you start and you take a leap of faith and you jump in the deep end and you do it afraid. So I started to think about how the business was going to translate I started to write my manuals. I started to think about what I wanted to do. And therein comes a problem. Wedding dresses. I thought to myself, when I was getting married, I didn't even consider looking for wedding dresses in Lagos because I just thought, oh no, they're not going to have the the range that I want. I, I didn't know of very many wedding stores. And if you think about it, people have babies all the time. They eat all the time. People die 
people get married. It's something that constantly happens. So how is it that if this is something that recurs in everyday life, every month someone is getting married, how come there isn't somewhere where you can go? And I mean, not that there, there aren't places to get a wedding dress, but you don't, I hadn't seen so many. So that's how my thinking started. And then I started to think about design. I started to think about pattern. I started to think about clothing. I started to think about what I wanted to look like how I would want to look again if, you know, if, I, if I retook my vows, what I wanted to look like, what do I think Nigerian women should look like when they get married, are they conservative? I started to put plan to paper and I literally started. Started to look for suppliers, started to look at fabric and um, I asked my mom, I said to her, when, when will I know when will I know when it's time to quit? And she said, you will just know. So if there's someone here thinking to, to themselves, is it time to quit? When it's time, you will just know. You will get inundated. You will get so swamped by what you're doing every day that there will be no time to juggle the two. And that, that is literally um, what happened to me. So I got 10, I only had 10 dresses actually. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have a photo shoot and after that, I'm going to hand in my notice. So we had, a photo sh- we had a photo shoot at an aunt's house. And we had the 10 dresses. I had a photographer. I was very frustrated. But things started to, to move from there. Okay, I have it on the slide. So at the photo shoot, a friend of mine is helping me out. We're pegging the dresses. I'm getting frustrated. The photographer is going off on a different tangent. But I'm staying focused to the course. And... Two-Face's wife, Annie Dibia, is coming to pick up my makeup artist. And my friend bumps into her and she says, oh, what's going on here? And um, my friend says, oh, my friend has a wedding dress line. It's, she's not sure what she's going to call it, but we're shooting the wedding dresses. Annie says, well, I'm getting married. I need a wedding dress. She goes, oh, you know, you should take a look at the dresses. They swap numbers. And later on, my friend says, oh, Annie wants your dress. I thought, who's Annie? And she said, Idibia. It didn't even click at the time because I think Two-Face, I don't think Two-Face Idibia. So Annie calls her up, she calls me up, we meet. I don't even have a store at this point. I only have 10 dresses. I've never sold a wedding dress to anyone. And here is Annie Dibia calling my friend up saying, I want to buy a dress from this girl. We meet up, she picks a dress. I love it, I love it. I'm thinking, no, you, you don't love it. I've never sold a wedding dress to anyone. Don't love it. I don't even know what I'm doing. She goes, oh yeah, so when shall I pay the money into your account? Um, never. She, so, you know, we, we went back and forth anyway. Annie pays for the dress, and the rest is history. When you take that leap of faith, God steps in. All you have to do is start today and not tomorrow. You can't figure it all out. You can't know what is going to happen. Faith is like a step. There's this thing I have on my DP all the time. It's like steps, and then there's no step, and then there's God's hand. And you can't see the next step, so you have to step on God's hand to get to the next step. And that's literally how it works. Once you have something in your heart and you're passionate about it, you can't sleep, you can't think, you can't eat, you can't breathe. All you think about is this thing. Just go in the direction and steadily follow through. And once you start, things will start to open up. At the time that I sold the dress to Annie, like I said, I didn't even have a shop. So God just miraculously worked things in my favor. My landlord actually gave us notice to to quit. He said, I'm selling the house. And I thought, oh no, I don't want to move. I hate packing. It was so destabilizing. But the house that I found had pretty much a self-contained chalet at the back, which is now my office. So again, I didn't even have to think about rent. I didn't have to think about extra rent. So that's the whole idea of start today and not tomorrow. When you start, things just happen. I can't explain it. Only God knows how he does it, but things really do just happen. Um... Then I started to really immerse myself in the business. I started to think about my consumer. What do they want? How do I want to sound? What is I do weddings? What does it represent? Um, Another thing when you're starting a new company is to really understand yourself and your brand identity. Again, Coca-Cola helped me with that, with branding. I understood the power of branding. I understood the emotions of my consumer. I don't talk to people that I don't know. I talk, when I talk to people via Instagram or social media, I'm talking to them as if I know them, as if I'm talking to you who are in the audience. It's all about the emotions. People who sell a product just to sell a product don't go very far. People who sell a product and put emotion and put heart behind it always go far. So that's another thing that I did. Next slide, please. I can't actually really see, so I'm going to have to do this blind. 
let me tell you a little bit about I Do Weddings. So I Do Weddings has now become a wedding solutions company. And the name Wedding Solutions Company, I coined thanks to Pastor Godman, who said, you should always look for value. You should always look to provide value and you should always look to provide a solution to a problem. He said this must have been this time last year and it stuck with me. So when it was time to coin what I Do Weddings was all about, I actually came up with it based on what he had said. So I Do Weddings is a wedding solutions company because we provide the solutions to all your wedding related needs or problems. So that's how, so thank you. (laughs) That's how that came about. Um, I think I'm going to have to stand up because I honestly cannot see. It's my company. I should be able to do it blind, surely. (laughs) Okay. So under I do weddings, there are two tranches. There's love Tim's, which is the bridal side. And there's I do weddings, which is the actual wedding solutions company. So under I do weddings, we do gift wrapping, we do the gele tying. We do the engagement letter. So if someone is getting married, you know, Yorubas typically do that from the, from the, from the man side, from the groom side to the bride side. There's a proposal letter. There's the acceptance letter and whatnot. So we do all of that. Um, then the bridal line is obviously the wedding dresses. We have a perfume line, which I'm, curr- I'm currently wearing the perfume. We have a Love Tim's perfume. We have the jewelry. We have the accessories. We, oh my God, we've done so much in one year. I can't even think of all the things that we do. But I'll go to the next slide so I can talk to you more about how to start. Next slide, please. Okay, so this is just talking about the difference between Love Tims and I Do Weddings. And I've already explained one side is bridal, one side is apparel, and the other side is um, planning, planning solutions. So we'll go to the next slide. I think I've talked a lot about all of this already. When you're trying to start a business, it's very imperative that you have a thirst for knowledge. I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly looking at tools. I'm constantly looking at things that are going to improve my business, even if they don't directly speak to my business. I've put up a couple of books there to inspire and to help. Um, One of them is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's just to help you manage your day, help you stay current, help you stay effective, really, help you focus on the things that you need to focus first and leave out the things that you do not need to be um, focusing on. Um, there's another book called um, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. I really, really um, promote this book for women in the audience because women in business think differently to men. Women tend to take a back seat. They don't take compliments as well. They don't lean in. Men are more assertive. They push for more. They ask for more in the boardroom. They're heard more. Women really make up a very minute um, fraction of the of the. Sorry, Pastor T has just done this and I've totally lost track. But women, women just need to push more, basically. Lastly, social media. Social media for businesses. If you don't have a lot of money and you want to get your business out there, please, please utilize social media. It, you can reach 1,001 people in just one click. And that's how I've made my, my business grow. I started off with zero followers and now we're at almost 30,000 followers. And that's literally, like I said, because I speak to my audience. I engage their emotions. I don't just sell a product and mostly because I believe in what I do. I hope I've done well enough and I hope you understand what I've done. So thank you very much. Amen. Let's put our hands together for her. Thank you. Um, I, I was just saying there's a reason for all the schools that were listed. Uh, so in case you hear Harvard, Stanford and all that, the reason is because I failed from IFA. Uh, I had a 2-2 on an extra semester and I had to make up for that. And so I asked my mentors, I said, what can I do to make people forget the fact that I failed? And someone told me, if you go to Harvard, don't worry. They'll just say Harvard. Someone else said, go to Stanford, they'll say Stanford. Someone said, go to Oxford, they'll say Oxford. So I, I went everywhere. <laughs> and I didn't pay for it, by the way. And I'll explain to you. So this is, this, is, this is what I want to share with you. It's the fact that problems are great, right? Uh, Nigeria is in trouble right now. Hello? Uh, price of oil. A few of my friends and I were talking today, and someone said, oh my God, we're in trouble. People are going to be laid off and all that. And I said, maybe there's an opportunity for us to actually diversify our economy. But we're not talking about Nigeria today. 
We're talking about people in the room, even though, of course, we're all part of Nigeria. I want to spend the next 10 minutes sharing a few things I've learned over the last, uh, more like seven plus five, or, yeah, seven plus five years, uh, running a non-profit. When I was leaving school, one of the things that was tough was if you said you were going to work for an NGO, everybody you know, would think of two things. Either you couldn't get into a consulting firm or one of the good companies, or you were kind of stupid, one of those two. But there was a reason why I wanted to do that. I wanted to spend one year, just like your Coca-Cola story. You wanted to spend you know, some time there, and then you had to spend a lot more time. I wanted to spend one year to give back. And the reason, when the slides do eventually come up, you will see it, but don't worry, I'll just go ahead anyway. Um, I wanted to do that because when I was in secondary school, and I did, you know, put up a, you know, a picture of myself in secondary school, which looked very interesting. I hope I can get it up, if you can get it up. Otherwise, I, so when I was my third year in, in secondary, yeah, can you tell who Ben Gashasson is in that picture? Yeah, it's the great-looking guy in the left, you know, on the left there. Yeah, that's, that's me. Very proud of me. <laughs> you know, so this, this, by the way, I was already in SS3 here. Uh, three years, yes, I was. Three years before this, I had an experience. You know, a very interesting encounter. And I think that we all have these things called triggers. It could be anything. For me, I went to this lab. Uh, we just got new computers in our school. I wanted to go to the computer lab to learn how to use computers because Wale Fatula and his brothers would go there, play games, come back to class and say, hey, we went to play games. And I was thinking to myself, how on earth would you go to the principal's office? Because uh, for those of you who went to boarding school in Nigeria, uh, for those of you who didn't have that you know, privilege, sorry, but for those who had that privilege in Nigeria, right, the principal's office... If you were ever summoned to the principal's office, of course, it was suspension, right? But then there were two computers in the second half of the principal's office. So it meant for you to go play with the computers. You had been to the principal's office. And you had, so I wanted to go there. But there was this teacher at the door who literally standing, you know, really tall, looked down. You know, they say people look down on you or look down at you. But he literally looked down, you know, on me and said, you can't. And he was laughing. You can't understand how to use them. They're called computers. It's not for people like you and all that. And I cried, okay? But the reason I couldn't cry a lot was, don't forget, I was in GS3. We had been told guys don't cry, uh, especially when you're in GS3 and there are ladies in your class. Of course you don't cry. So uh, I couldn't really cry on the outside, but in me, I was bleeding. I was a young, opinionated, highly opinionated you know, young man who believed that, yes, that was me at the time. I believed I could do anything. This was me. Trying for Nollywood. <laughs> I believed I could do anything. And then this teacher said, this thing is not for people like you. So I made up my mind, you know what? I'll learn how to use computers, and then I will teach other people how to use it. But there was a problem. The problem, if you could show if, you know, the next few pictures, and I'll tell the story to it. So there was this problem. The fact that I needed a platform to tell the story of what I wanted to do because it was a new thing. When I was talking about technology, I was studying electrical electrical engineering, don't forget. And when I said to my supervisor that my course was, my focus of my final year project was going to be on e-commerce, you know, doctor, I won't mention his name, looked at me and said, are you sure you're an elect-elect? And I laughed because as far as I was concerned, I didn't believe that my final year project should be something I would do, get an A in, and then just move on. I don't know if there's any student, I don't think there's any student in the room. Uh, you're all made people already working, yeah. Okay, but if you know any student, please tell them the best place to start is while on campus. All this idea of cramming, passing, and forgetting, doing anywhere belay face, and getting to your final year, and then suddenly realizing, oh God, there are no jobs in Nigeria. If people would fail on campus, if you started a company in year one, and you fail for four years, until your fourth year, by your fifth year, it's fine. Because at that time, if you fail, there's not, you know, it's not a lot of problems if you fail at that time. Because accommodation, well, at least when I was in, when I was in IFE, accommodation was 19 naira, And you can, you can be sure that, you know, that's, that's not a lot. Let me say a few things about starting at PIN. Uh, there, there are a few other pictures that, that come after that, uh, but I'll, I'll skip that because of time. But there are two myths I want to speak to very quickly. And the first is saying that you don't need anyone to help you before you get started. I know that we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship. And 
well, as humans, we're almost tempted to become, you know, we're almost extremists at times. At times, okay, uh, we say that maybe you don't need anyone to help you get started. And the second myth that you probably need to get everything sorted, you know, your business plan, your this, your that. I'm not going to speak to when to start, but I'm going to say that you can start even without leaving where you are. A very good example. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll show you a few, a few you know, pictures of how PIN started. In 2001, I decided to put up a personal website, and the reason was very simple, because I heard that Africa didn't have a lot of content on the internet, and I thought that was an opportunity. Yes, it was a problem, but I thought it was an opportunity, and so I started this thing called Black Pioneers. Don't ask me what it means, I have no idea. I don't know where I got the idea from. It was called Black Pioneers, it was a mailing list, and then after a while, it was a website, it was pinned. Uh, the name came from the idea of Paradigm Shift, Paradigm Initiative Nigeria, but the basic idea was that at some point when I worked for, so I started working for Junior Achievement in 2001, and the plan was to spend one year there, because I'd been, I'd been told by a teacher I would never understand how to use computers, but then I learned how to use computers, and I wanted to give back. So I thought I would give back to this NGO for one year. One year became six years. And by 2007, I thought it was time to move on. One of my biggest problems was the fact that I saved what I thought was enough money. At that time, it came to a total of $4,000. I'd done consulting, I'd saved from my salary, and I had $4,000, and I thought it was enough to start. And then I started. So I wrote my resignation letter. I was to resign. I wrote it in December to resign February 13. You know, a lot happens between when you write that letter and when you actually move on. Uh, Many times you want to withdraw the letter. So I wrote that letter, and by February 13, I moved on. And the first few things that happened was the fact that the organization that was supposed to write off the first project budget, the person who was in charge of that project moved on. And that meant all we had was $4,000 to run our project. And I thought it was a lot of money, by the way. Uh, but in three months, after we, so we had to train young people. We had to rent a place. We had to pay I had no idea how much it cost for power at the time. My assumption was, you know, it's okay. We have a lot of money. And in less than three months, the money was gone. I think one of the most important lessons I learned is the fact that if, you do, if you're committed to something long enough, even if you don't succeed at it, people will notice you, that you're serious about that thing. Because reality is, over the next few years, what I was doing was not as popular as it was. It wasn't as popular anymore to say you want to train young people. You know, for what? And after a while, so we started working, and one of the first few things that we learned was that we, were not, we hadn't done a lot, but we needed to put our information online. So we had a website, and I know many people were saying things like, oh, what are you doing? How come you have a website? How, you know, what? blah, 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 blah. But I'll say this to you. Whatever you're doing today, And I think it's an assumption that if I can't find you online, you're either not for real or you're not serious about what you're doing. And of course, gone are those days when people will tell you things like, oh, it costs one, you know, an arm and a leg to put up up a website. But apart from that, she also spoke about social media. And I'll tell you a story about social media. So I began to, you know, this thing, you know, we call rant, right? You you begin to complain about what's wrong with this, what's wrong with that, and all that. I started complaining about youth unemployment in Nigeria. But I didn't just complain. Because one of the things about social media is that if all you do is complain, people will follow you, would realize that, oh, oh, this is the guy that complains. But if you complain and you also prefer solutions, chances are that there's somebody who is following you Reality of social media is you have no idea who is following you. Or you have no idea who is following you and can share that information with someone who can fix what you need. I began talking about unemployment in Nigeria, and I proposed something about digital jobs. And I said that, okay, we've got 64 million unemployed young people or underemployed young people. If I had X amount of money, I would do this and this and this. Someone saw that and forwarded to someone in Nairobi. So this lady in Nairobi came to Nigeria, she had meetings, and we sat together and she said, well, I read this, how would you do it? And of course, usual me, I told her exactly I was going to do it, and after that meeting, you know one of those meetings that you tell yourself, why on earth did I even go there anyway? Who is she? I mean, what am I talking to her about? And then I left, and I checked her card, you know, I saw Rockefeller Foundation, 
Of course, this is 2014, right? When you get a card, or you meet, when you meet someone, you put their name in Google, you click send, and you find out every, almost everything about them. So I saw that, oh, these guys, they're going to be 100 years soon. They're interested in this thing and all that. And then they sent me an email and said, let's have a meeting. Basically, fast forward. Three months later, there was an email with a contract attached to it saying that if you would just sign this, you would get half a million dollars to do what you want to do anyway. And at that point, I stopped and I asked myself, what is the difference between speaking about the problems and speaking about the problems and offering solutions and then a third option, speaking about the problems, offering solutions and not just winking in the dark. Because one of the things I will say here today is that for many of us, we do solve problems. But we solve the problems in the isolation of our corners. And this is why I believe that, and it's not just about social media, but it's about every opportunity you have to use technology. Make sure that what you do is out there. And the reason for that is that somebody will see it and will be interested in, you know, in supporting you. Uh, let, me, let me just speak to the last few things I have on the slide, if they can come up. Otherwise, I can take them from here. Okay, four questions I'm going to ask you. Now this is clear. If there is a problem and you have the solution, that's an opportunity, right? Uh, I don't know how much you spend on power in your office or at home, but everybody knows that the guys who... Does anybody here offer inverter solutions? Aha, see them. Okay. They're very happy. You know why? Because now the backup is, you know, is uh, either a Kedja or a code distribution itself. That's an opportunity because there is a problem. If you, have a, if you have a solution to a problem, obviously, it's a huge opportunity. But the question, the three questions, number one, what technology processes can make you do what you do better? So let's say you sell clothes, right? E-commerce is a big deal right now. Everybody, you know, is going into e-commerce. Of course, the bigger part of it is, lo- is the logistics, not the website itself. But what can technology do to make what you do much better? Because reality is many of us will pay for technology solutions, but like we do for the things that we don't know so much about, we pay a lot more because ideally, we all do this. We pay for our ignorance. Somebody says, I can help you automate your processes, and this is the bill. And then we pay for it. Because we don't, have, we don't exactly have an idea of what it is. And my challenge to you is please understand technology used to be a geek thing. I'm one of those guilty people who will send you an invoice and put a lot of jargon in it so you don't understand it. And so when we say it's 1.9 million and you say, what do you mean 1.9 million naira? My response will be, well, for you to understand, you know, we have to first of all do the frames. When we do the frames, we do the wire frames. When we do the wire frames, we do the sketches. When we do the sketches, we do all that. And you're like, okay, 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 I agree with you. I'm sure we, you, all, you all know the story, right, of the plumber who came to someone's house. I'm sure you've all heard this story, right? The plumber came to the house to fix a small problem. And when he was done, he, you know, they asked him, how much is your money? He said, 10,000 naira. And the woman was like, 10,000 naira. All you did was just to tap something. And the guy said, well, no problem. For that tap that I did, that's just one naira. But for knowing exactly where to tap, 9,999 naira. So my advice is please get more interested in understanding how technology works. Because reality is today, and I was just saying this, you know, Pastor Godman, you know, I was just saying this to you a few minutes ago, that today happens to be one of those times in human history that you can start a company and it can be global on day one. Many years ago, you had to sell, first of all, you are regional because you sell in Nigeria, you sell in Ghana. In fact, once you sell in Ghana, you are regional. Okay, forget the fact that Ghana is just two ops away from here. And then you have to sell in Southern America and then you have to sell you know, in North America and sell in Europe and then you are global. But right now, you can start the business today and it can become global. Because somebody from somewhere else on the other side of the world can see the services that you offer and ask for it. But many times, it's like many of us, we we do these great things, but it's not out there. And what I would say is that that's as good as winking, of course, in the dark. That's the first question. The second question is this. How can technology help you reach more people? 
if the services you provide are such that they're customized for each person, there's a temptation for you to think, you know what, I have to reach them one after the other. But the reality is, word of mouth is great. But how about you meet someone and they want to know what you do or they want to know how you can solve their problems. Can you give them something that they can go check out when they leave that place? I'll tell you this, and everybody knows this, right? When you exchange complimentary cards these days, how many of us know where those complimentary cards end up? Most of us don't remember them. But if, for you know, example, I start following you on Twitter immediately, and I, I begin to hit, read the things that you're talking about, or I get a website address and I can check when I live there, it means there's an opportunity for you to speak to me even when you're not there in the person. And I've talked about the last question that I have here about what must I learn so I can understand how tech works for me. And I, I say this because there is a tendency for us to buy what people say is new. Uh, I don't know how many of us in the room use the iPhone 5S uh, because I know some people are smiling already. We're great at consumption and it's great because it helps the market. But the technology solution that you have been offered might not exactly be what you need. And that's why I'm encouraging everyone, please get to understand technology a bit more. Yes, you don't have to become an expert in ICT solutions just because you want to understand it, but please get a bit more comfortable with it. And one, one final thing that I want to share with you uh, about PIN, which is what I've, you know, what I've learned over the last few years, is the fact that when we started, okay, uh, I remember, Tunji is here now. Let me say thank you for that check again. <laughs> you know? Probably wouldn't have started paying if I didn't get that check. And I'm sure he's just smiling and wondering, you know, what this is about. But reality is, when we started, there was a time when I wanted to just stop. And the reason was very simple. I wasn't being paid at the time. Thankfully, I was an Ashoka Fellow, which meant I was paid every month. But the organization couldn't afford, afford to pay me. But one of the biggest opportunities that we had was that we documented everything that we did. We documented everything that we did and we put it out there such that in a few years when other people asked questions and said, what do you do and how can we be of support? It was easy for us to say, this is what we do, this is how we've done it, and this exactly is what we'd like to do in the next few years. On Saturday, uh, a hundred of our students will would, would be graduating from the new uh, training center in Aba and we have what we call you know, a town hall meeting where the parents... And people who live with them basically come around to explain how, you know, this train has affected their lives. And when we have those town hall meetings, one of the questions I ask myself is this. What if around 2008 and 2009, we had stopped what we were doing? Because reality is the break came for us in about 2010 when somebody needed to work, what's Microsoft needed to do some work around cybercrime in Nigeria. And because we had documented everything that we had been doing around the issue of cybercrime in Nigeria, it was easy for us not to have to write a proposal. Because the interesting thing is that the meeting was basically to say, we've done this, we've done that, and this is what we can also do later. So I'll leave you with this thought. I understand we're, you know, we're going to have a question and answer session after this, and I hope I can speak to a, bit, you know, a few of the other things that I had on the slides then. But I just want to leave you with this thought, that there are so many problems in Nigeria today. And I think that it gives us a reason to sit down and say that there are as many opportunities as problems. But there's this thing called a 10,000-hour principle, and I'm sure almost everyone in this room has heard about, you know, about this, that if you spend... 10,000 hours on something, you become an expert at it. So my challenge to you is, what is that one problem that you are spending 10,000 hours on such that when anyone is looking for someone to support or someone to buy products from in the next one to two years, it is your product or your service that they will come for. Thank you. All right. um, Good evening. Um, Timmy and um, Gringa, and thank you once again for those wonderful presentations. Um, they are pretty much very inspiring, all right? And I'm sure that um, almost everybody in the audience has learned something from what you've said already. Um, but we're just still going to engage you all the same and ask you questions, right? Um, okay, so in the spirit of um, Ladies First, eh? um, 
so I'm going to ask you this first question, Timmy. I, I read your profile and I kind of listened to your, to, your, to your presentation, but I'm still wondering in my head, you know, so three law degrees and, um, and in the sense of, of a layman, you know, so the three law degrees, how does that connect to this weddings solution, one-stop wedding solution company, you know, what, what's driving that, how, how, do you, how did you come about that, how did you choose that, that, that was what you were going to do, how have you stayed focused? You know, on that on that process, basically. Um, I think the simple um, answer the to, simple that answer to that is passion. Um, I've stayed focused um, because stayed I'm focused passionate about what, passionate I about what I do. I think that when people thrive, people thrive most in a terrain that they're comfortable and that they're passionate about. If you're not passionate about something, it's very difficult to dedicate a lot of hours to it. And to speak to your question about law. I find that the the skills are actually quite transferable because part of the things that you learn as a lawyer is how to express yourself, how to argue a case. I'm not necessarily arguing a case every day, but I am being persuasive when I sell a product to a consumer. So the way I sell it to them, the way I express it, the way I reach their emotions is, is through language. So I've learned many transferable skills, just to be organized in your business as well. One of the skills you learn as a lawyer is to be extremely organized, to be coherent. Um, I think that has translated to the business. When I came up with the business, I started methodically. Another skill you learn as a lawyer, I thought about the brand colors. I thought about the brand personality, the brand attitude. These are things that I feel a, a law degree has actually equipped me with. And of course, I needed to incorporate my company, so that helps. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, um, so, Binga, um, when you hear entrepreneurship most times, right, um, the, the sign in your head is actually dollar sign. So, I start a company, it becomes very hugely successful, I make loads of money, I can buy me boats and houses in different companies, I mean, different countries. And here you are doing something that you've called social entrepreneurship, you know. Um, where, where is that coming from? What's driving all of that, you know? Um, just to tell out a little bit more, why have you chosen that sector and that space to work in? Okay. Uh, to be honest, um, I, was, I was worried about how to pay my bills because uh, I mean, social means you're solving a problem and the focus isn't the reward that you get but isn't the solution to that problem. But the reason for this, you know, and I said that earlier, is because I wanted to basically make a statement. So someone had told me I couldn't do it and I'm not the kind of guy you tell you can't do it. I basically wanted to prove a point. I can learn how to use computers. I can teach other people also. But along the line, I saw a problem. And the problem was that as far as technology was concerned, this was 1999, 2000. As far as technology was concerned, and it's still a bit like that now, Nigeria wasn't exactly serious about it. You know, you had scenarios where we had huge opportunities of being leaders on the continent and we're not. So I thought it was an opportunity to use what I wanted to do, which was to train young people, to prepare them to become leaders within the space, uh, you know, basically, to allow the people that I train to become leaders within the sector and be able to help Nigeria become a leader within, you know, the technology sphere in, in Nigeria. So it's, it wasn't, it was never, and it's still not, about the bottom line. Thankfully, I don't have, you know, shareholders who basically say, how much is our revenue, you know, for this quarter? Uh, so that's, that's an opportunity, but reality is it also has to be sustainable, which means that, and that's the reason why we didn't call ourselves an NGO, a non-government organization from the beginning, because I didn't, I didn't think that the, the cap in hand model was a good idea. I didn't think that asking people for money before I could do something was a good idea. So I thought, you know, um, I have a few skills, right, around ICT policy and development. I thought I could use that to earn some money and then use the money to solve the problems that we were interested in. So the reason to do, why I wanted to do this was because of my own personal experience, that trigger, and also because along the line, I saw that there was a major, major, major problem there. And, you know, here we are now. All right, fantastic. Thank you. Um, one more question about your, about your organization. So you've been talking about PIN, um, and I take the liberty to say that PIN means Paradigm Initiative Nigeria, right? And that's the social enterprise that you run, Okay. Uh, and one of your flash, flagship projects is around the ajegunle.org, right? Uh, do you want to talk about that and I'll say a little bit about that and a few other things that you do from the social sector? You? Uh, so the idea of uh, ajegunle.org, by, by the way, now uh, there's a new name for that, which is ajegunle life. Uh, and the reason for that is when we began to expand 
beyond Ajegunle in Lagos. We couldn't call other locations, Ajegunle.org, Aba, Ajegunle.org, Nasara, or something like that. So we changed the name to LIFE. And LIFE is an acronym that basically means it's just for the training programs that we do there. L for life skills, I for ICTs, F for financial readiness, and E for entrepreneurship. And what we basically do is when most young people within the community that we work, when they get into their SS3, for those who get to SS3 uh, and they graduate, their parents tell them very simply, I've paid your way through secondary school, right? I've tried. Your younger brother or your younger sister also needs to go to school. So right now you're on your own. You need to fend for yourself. And so we invite them. These guys don't have a degree. It means that they, they definitely would not have a good chance of getting a job. And unfortunately, they've grown up in a community that has told them that the best you can be is maybe you sing and you won't have a heat, and so you'll be a field singer or something like that. So we invite them, train them for seven weeks, and then connect them with internship opportunities. And after that, they basically are able to move on. Either they get retained in the office where they've completed their internships, or they start their own business idea. And what we have now started, because we had, you know, when we had just 20 people, you know, starting, it was easier. But now we've got about 160 um, in Ajegunle, we've got about 100 in Aba. So what we started now is basically say to them, there are digital jobs. And everybody, um, and I'm sure there are people in the room already complete digital jobs. Digital jobs basically mean that you go to certain websites online where there are people who want their tasks completed. They don't need to see you in person, but you complete the work you send the completed work to them, and they pay you uh, in any currency that you guys agree on. So that's what we're now connecting our students to. So it's basically making sure that an average young man or young woman who is otherwise condemned to the bottom of a pyramid is given an opportunity to not only you know, do something, but become a role model for, for other young people. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you this question, Timmy. Um, <clears throat> I have these two questions from the audience that I'm going to ask you to say something about. Number one says, is it really necessary for a young graduate to have some experience before launching out? Is there a place for tutelage? And then the second one is, how did you get investors? How do you give returns back to said investors? Okay, the first one says, is it really necessary for a young graduate to have some experience before launching out? Is there a place for tutelage? Okay, um, I think... It is necessary to have some kind of experience. Some people are natural-born entrepreneurs and don't have experience. I'm not saying that that isn't a good thing. But for me, I actually wanted to dive straight into the wedding solutions company. And my mom was very insistent at the time that I got some experience. And it was only after I got experience that I understood why and how beneficial that was for me. For anybody who's here in a job feeling like you're going through the motions every day, I know how frustrating that can be, but you're not just going through the motions. You're learning skills that you will need to employ in your own business. So, for instance, if you're in the admin department of a company and you feel, oh, there's got to be more to life than this, you're in that department because you will have an admin department in your own company. You will need structure. You will need balance. You will need people to perform administrative tasks that you cannot do every day yourself. You will need to delegate to people. So if you don't understand the structure of a company, it's actually quite difficult to run a company. So I do think that, the, I do think that it's necessary to have that. Okay. Um, second question, how, how did you get investors and how do you give returns back to said investors, considering that you're not quoted on the stock exchange? <laughs> at least just yet how did I get investors by daring to be bold and by giving my own all um, when I got married I got given some gifts I got given the microphones okay I got given jewelry and I thought to myself where am I wearing these diamonds to honestly I don't I'm not that social a person and I looked at it and it was literally the answer to my own problems because I, I literally didn't have any capital starting off. So I sold it off to start my own business. And my willingness to do that opened up the eyes of my, my own investors. I, I'm actually quite scared when it comes to borrowing or lending money. So I think sometimes when you put yourself out, when you're willing to feel the pinch yourself, you're going to be able to convince somebody else to invest in your own business. For instance, if you came to an investor and said, oh, please invest in my business, and they say, what have you put into your business? And you're saying, um, 
there's going to be no incentive. But when you put your all into your business, I think that's quite an incentive to, to get someone to invest in your business. So that's literally how I got investors, by putting my all into it and just being as dedicated as I was. I think people can smell it. There's something in your aura when you, you're going to go full steam ahead. There's something in the way you even pitch your idea. There's something about the belief you have in your idea. I think that is what actually attracts an investor. You'd be surprised that people will be ready to drop their money if, they, if you believe in what you're doing yourself. All right, thank you. Um, now, I'm sure you'll agree with me that it's correct to say that both of you have done things that um, are not very conventional, all right? So um, starting a wedding solutions company... Um, is not as conventional as starting a business selling juries or something else, right? And starting a social enterprise is not as conventional as starting a business creating programs and software, right? Um, How have you stayed the course, right? How have you um, continued to motivate yourself? How have you continued to make sure that your businesses and your ideas are relevant, you know, in the the course so, so you're able to go on and follow up with your vision and stay through to it? Yep, just go first on it. Okay, uh, so f- I think three things. One, one for me, first thing was in terms of what, what made me start in the first place. Uh, so this was passion based on, on experience, on personal experience. Um, I know that, you know, there are times that we do some things because, yeah, it's popular or others are doing it, but, I mean, I, I, I had to do it, basically. I didn't have a choice. I had to do this. So the passion sees me through. So even when things, when the numbers are, like, oh my God, what's going on here? Are we going to be able to get to the end of the year and into, next, into the other year? But because I know I'm doing this as an assignment, as something I have to do, that, that helps. Uh, the other is, and this is, you know, to be honest, when you're rewarded or recognized for what you do, it's very helpful. Um, I think I'm, I'm fortunate. I was recognized a lot from about 1999 to date, almost every, actually every year, Somebody somewhere from either from Nigeria or some corner of the world says, oh, we recognize you as the 2014 social entrepreneur of the year or something like that. That is encouraging, first of all, and it also tells me that I need to do a lot more. And, and the third thing is also the fact that the output of what we do, there are times I receive emails and I'm in tears. So a few days ago, um, I got an email from Famous. Um, and if I can just tell, how many? Do I have 30 seconds? Okay, so famous, famous came to our program. Um, his, you know, his parents had told him the usual thing. And Famous had gone through the training, got an internship, and for some reason he got interested in a job opportunity at the U- So he had done an internship at the UK Deputy High Commission in Lagos, and he heard there was an opening at the UK Embassy in Abuja, and then he wanted to apply for it, and he told me about it. And I was like, Famous, you don't have a university degree. Everybody who is going to apply for that job would either have a BSc, a Master's, or something like that. So basically, Famous went for this, and the biggest deal for him was the fact that the UK Deputy High Commission in Lagos sent a car with the red plate number CD to him in Ajegunle, and he became a star because, you know, basically the car rode into his house, picked him up, took him to the airport. He got on a plane for the first time. When Famous wrote to me that he was a graduate and he was doing something, I was close to tears because I remembered exactly the conversation we had. The same thing with Esther, who was featured by Microsoft recently, uh, and our story was from slum to software developer. And I read the story, and I watched this video, and I said to myself, even if nobody pays me for what I do, even if nobody recognizes me for the rest of my life, the fact that one person or two people or a thousand people have been able to tell a story to say, you helped me, and I became this. Not you told me, it's not for people like you, like that teacher told me, you know, when I was in secondary school. The fact that one person has been able to get that, now that is motivation for me any day. All right. Thank you. Do you want to say something about that as well? What keeps me going, again, is my passion. And the, the desire to build something that will actually outlive me. I'm trying to build a proper business, a brand, and not a hobby. So my daily motivation it stemmed from that. I know that it has to be bigger than me. I know that it has to be beyond me. I hope one day to quit and do something else that I enjoy doing. So my daily motivation is just that. 
and just not taking for granted my my situation. The wedding industry is booming. It's it's getting bigger and bigger every day. It's becoming more and more. You'd be surprised at what people come up with with weddings these days. So I constantly have to be on top of my game. So it's not. A, I, I I'm never bored. I enjoy what I do. So I'm never bored. And I try to stay relevant. I try to innovate. I try to move with the time. So there's never really a case of me falling off or getting bored or anything like that. All right. Thank you very much. Um, one last question for both of you, and then we'll call it a day. So where do you, where do you see yourselves? Where do you see go, this going in five years, in ten years? Where do you see this going? Ladies first, or ladies first after men? Ladies first. That, that's actually a good question. I think so much has happened in one year that I, I've actually learned to pause to enjoy the moment. Where do I see myself in five years' time? I guess with eyes of faith. I hope to be the wedding solutions company in Nigeria and beyond Pan-African. I don't want to be good just for Nigeria. I don't want to be good just for Africa. I want to be good worldwide. I want to shine a spotlight in Nigeria for positivity, to be able to say a woman has done this. We can do things just the same as our counterparts in the U.S. or in the U.K. I hope to touch more people. I hope to open more stores. I hope to inspire more people and just, I just want the business to grow. I, I haven't, I'm basking in the moment now. So that, that's actually put me on the spot. I hope Love Tim's goes beyond where my eyes started. I, there's a quote that I always remember. It says, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible and receives the impossible. And that's what I hope for my business. I hope I get the impossible. Excellent. Thank you very much. So, um, this is 2014, right? So, 2015, uh, uh, Pain plans to expand into four new uh, locations uh, across Nigeria. 2016, uh, we, we, we would have to. Uh, so, we, we, at the moment, the number of people that we reach with all our programs is way below 250,000. Now, in a Nigeria of 176 million, no matter how much we say you're doing well, you know you're not. When you've reached in a quarter of a million, in a whole you know, population size of 177 million. Uh, so we, we want to reach our first million uh, by 2016. By 2017, I'm resigning from PIN. I mean, that's, that's already known within the organization and it over to someone else. And the reason is this. Uh, we've built something that can recreate itself in new locations, and it's time for me to go into a new challenge. And the new challenge is to create a parallel organization that is for-profit, that uses the theory of ICTs for development that we've used to you know, make these changes to end revenue so that pain would never have to ask anyone for money again. So in the next five years, we would have reached our two million people. I would have moved on to the new organization and pain would not have to ask anyone for one naira, one dollar, one cover. Fantastic. All right, so... Thank you very much to both of you for coming this evening. We've really learned a lot from you. Um, and it's just our prayers that your visions, what you, God will collapse those five years into less than two years for you in the name of Jesus. All right, so thank you very much. If you just go back to your seats.